This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. and welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today we're joined by the current Francis Hodgkins Fellow, multimedia artist Sorowit Songsataya. But first, he's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with an update on the Dunedin arts scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, what's happening around town at the moment? The PCR Gallery in Port Chalmers is holding an exhibition of the late Eon Stevens, opening October the 2nd. Eon lived in Port Chalmers during the 80s and 90s and has many friends there with fond memories of him. When he died, he left over 2,000 works in a garage in Christchurch, which was eventually located. He has generously left the proceeds from the sale of his paintings to charities and the proceeds of this exhibition will be donated to the Port Chalmers Foundry Society for their ongoing work in saving the Sims building. Now the Dunedin Arts Festival is coming up in October. Any shows coming up as part of that, Ross? Well, the Dunedin Arts Festival runs from October the 12th to the 24th and art galleries around town are holding special shows, Sally. Gallery De Novo features local painter Nick Dempster with his distinctive bold cubist style. His exhibition is called Urban Planning, where he plays with ideas of urbanisation. And Milford Galleries in Dowling Street presents paintings from the late Ian Scott. The works in this show provide insights into his acclaimed Lattice series. What else is going on in October? Throughout October, RDS Gallery features work by local ceramicist and Dunedin School of Art graduate Kate Fitzharris. The show is called Companion Pieces and her ceramic creations may well end up companions. Her formal abstract pieces exude warmth and intimacy. Kate is a recipient of three Portage Merit Awards. This show will be really inviting and interesting. That does sound fabulous. And are there any special treats coming up for society members? Well, society members, again, are lucky to have an artist-guided tour in October at the Brett McDowell Gallery. Mark Braunius will host our members on the opening day of his show from October the 7th to the 27th, and all society members will get an email with further information on this and will be required to book for this. Mark is Hamilton-based and he's known for his bright, cartoonish, irreverent style. His works are often an ironic and subtle commentary on the human condition, and he explores issues around personal identity, social norms and popular culture. That sounds fantastic. Don't forget to book everyone. And last but not least, what's happening at DPAG, Ross? There are changes coming up at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. You need to hurry for a last look at In, On, Over, featuring abstract works from the collection and Ulutupu's work, The Fall. Both finish on October the 2nd. And you haven't got much time left either to see the Jim and Mary Bar collections and the Oliver Perkins show. These finish on October the 16th. A new suite of exhibitions is coming up for the summer period. We'll have details on these in the next Sideline show. And looking ahead in late 2023, we can look forward to a major retrospective of Marilyn Webb. 
Curators Lauren Gutzel and Lucy Hammonds with Bridget Rewiti are working on a publication to accompany this exhibition. Lots to look forward to, Ross. Thanks. And now it's time for our feature item. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Sorowit Songsatea, the current Francis Hodgkins Fellow at the University of Otago. Sorowit, welcome to Sightlines and thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Now, I came to see you at your studio last week and I commented on how clean and tidy and warm and light the spaces that you work in, particularly compared to the studios of some of the artists that I go and see. Is having that space provided for you one of the significant advantages of your fellowship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what else can an artist ask for? Um, I think for me and for many for many artists, like a studio is at the very heart of, you know, to be able to experiment and practice and test out your ideas. So yeah, it is the most important, yeah. most valuable so thing. Safe, quiet, light, yeah. warm, and needing that's kind of a yeah, yeah. space to work in. So for listeners who don't know about the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship, it was established in 1962. It's based in Dunedin, and it's named after renowned New Zealand painter Francis Hodgkins, who was born in Dunedin and died in 1947. It's awarded annually and it aims to encourage artists in the practice and advancement of their art and at the same time foster an interest in the arts within the university. It's one of New Zealand's premier art residencies and it's included many of New Zealand's most notable artists, among them Ralph Hotere, Michael Smithers, Marilyn Webb, Geoffrey Harris, Graham Sidney, Gretchen Albrecht and Fiona Partington. And I've listed a few former fellows, not just because I love a good list, uh, but to demonstrate what an honour it is to be named a fellow, Sorowit, not just because it gets you access to a fancy workspace. Do you feel a certain amount of prestige, but also pressure to live up to the great names that have come before you? I mean, to be honest, I hardly... I mean, I haven't thought of the past fellow until you. I I, I read <laughs> out the list that you all the names, and it's yeah, pretty crazy that Ralph Hotere did this, and so many others, incredible artists. It's been a really busy year, so I kind of spent all the time focusing on projects. It's like since I arrived here, it's been on the go, and also I've I hardly felt any kind of entitlement that I achieve or win anything it's mm. it's basically just another process another part of the job really <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you're you're working on on making your place mm. i wanted to ask you a little bit about what you did before you became a full-time artist and then a francis hodgkins fellow because you've been a full-time artist for how long now 10 years so yeah i start out 2012 13. really yeah. well established now that's fantastic <laughs> You were born in Thailand, and I think many New Zealanders have a close affinity to your birth country. Where in Thailand are you from? Um, I was born in the north, um, this small city called Chiang Mai. It's actually not small, probably population of Auckland, maybe. <laughs> Tiny <laughs> um, then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but my dad's from the east coast, so I have like influence from both the northern region and the east coast region, which is quite different. Um, Culturally quite different, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, food, um, even like dialectic um, in mm. the language yeah. Mm, mm. and so I think your dad came to live in New Zealand in 2001 and I think you said that he invited you to come and join him for educational purposes tell us about that yeah so my dad got a job here back in the 90s I think 92 and then when I was 
um, starting my high school year in Thailand, he's kind of thought that, yeah, you want to come. He invited me to come and try to the education system here um, tried it out because I think back in Thailand I don't know how much it's changed now but back in when I was there you didn't really get an option to choose um, what subjects you want to do it's pretty it's quite traditional and yeah mm. you just do what you're told to do kind of yeah and as a creative person that didn't sit comfortably with you well at, at the time I wasn't sure if I wanted to pursue creative career mm. um you see, because even then it wasn't, it's not common. Like you don't see like, like here in Dunedin, for example, you don't walk down the streets and see mu- musicians or, you know, like a bunch of creative people. It's, yeah. it's a small town. And I mean, and to a certain degree, it can be quite conservative, like certain traditional arts and crafts. Mm, that's, mm. you know, there's not much of contemporary experimentation to yeah. Okay. <laughs> so out you came to New Zealand. Did you experience a degree of culture shock when you first lived here? Yeah, I mean, culture shock. I think I didn't prepare for, um, you know, no one prepared me for like this certain degrees of discrimination mm. or, I mean, racism. I think that's most what most people of colour experience anyway. So a lot of that, you know, like yeah you kind of met it firsthand yeah. <laughs> at schools and yeah whatnot. quite confronting for yeah. you how long did it take you to start to feel comfortable probably a good 10 years um that i finally you know i i i used to go back to thailand every two years or so to visit my mom and every time i come back after 10 years you know when i return to new zealand that's when I kind of start feeling like, oh, I'm returning home. Like, yeah, it's yeah. lovely. Lucky us. Yeah, lucky, lucky us. Did you stay in New Zealand after you left school? Yes, but I, I mean, I went back to Thailand for a year just to see if there's any kind of study options or creative opportunities that I want to pursue there. But yeah, as I said, um, a lot of the art degrees there are quite traditional and yeah, there's not much rooms to... I think you've said that they're explored and creative pursuits are explored in a very sort of conservative way in, in Thailand and they're based on the practice of Buddhism and all the tradition of pre- presenting to the monarch of Thailand. Was that mm. a part of the reason why ultimately you decided that New Zealand might offer you greater breadth of artistic expression? Yeah, I think um, with Western contemporary art there's definitely more rooms to you know, push ideas and limits where in some areas, like cultural areas in Thailand, you know, there's still things like censorship. You can't do certain things because there's politics there, yes. yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, quite complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you came back to New Zealand and I think then you went to Unitech in Auckland? Mm-hmm. So I did four years degree in um, painting um, degrees at Unitech, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so painting, obviously one-dimensional, uh, most of the work that you now do is clearly not one-dimensional yeah. uh, and is much wider uh, in terms of its application. So tell us about how you transitioned to the work that you now do. Mm. Um, so after my undergrad degrees, I felt a little bit stuck in terms of dealing with the material itself. I think the genre, painting as a genre, it's one of the oldest genre yeah. <laughs> in fine art so 
almost everything has been done and I found that constantly dealing with 2D surfaces it's not very freeing for me um, and I think and and so with the postgrad degree that I did at Elam uh, University of Auckland I changed I shifted to moving image and then later on started incorporating um, sculptural objects and yeah at, and, and now it's become um, a sort of video installation yeah you, you really are, uh, and people who are familiar familiar with your work will attest to this, I know, a, a hugely talented multidisciplinary artist across a huge range of mediums. And you've worked in, for example, computer generation, video, currently working in limestone sculpture. You've produced music. Can you tell us um, about some of those? And in particular, some of those mediums, all of them, in fact, will feature in your end-of-year fellowship show at the Hocken in March. Uh, that show exploring some of the themes that are close to your heart. And at the risk of a massive spoiler, what can you tell us about that show and the work that you're currently making for that? So it will be a video installation um, that's kind of exploring the ideas of our relationships to place. And I guess coming specifically from my position, how do I make sense of home? Um, What place can I call home? Um, So... The main material that I'm work, currently working with is um, Omaru limestone. And since I've been here, um, started at the beginning of the fellowship, I started um, doing some research around um, geological histories um, in, the, in, the, in South Island, um, and particularly uh, around where the um, Omaru limestone is being quarried. So yeah, the the main part of the gallery will be a presentation of uh, a sculptural um, objects made with limestone, and then at the Hawkins, there are two there are two side rooms. So both of them will be for uh, video works, and yeah, one is focusing on different areas around Central Otago. Um, I'm about to go out and film some um, chist chist outcrops out there next month. And the other video work is focusing on the Kotoku, um, which is the white heron nesting site out in Okarito. And that that, that will look um, more closely um, into the ideas of, I mean, I will be filming the birds at their nesting site. And so, yeah, exploring this idea of placemaking, homemaking, mm, and mm. where you're coming from kind of. Yeah. So the white heron is, is, is in fact, a lot of people might not know this, is a bird that is common to both of your countries, to both mm. Thailand and New Zealand. Yeah. And I guess it's going to be one of the stars of your show at the Hocken. A, a mo- motif for you, I think, that connects both of your homes, yeah? Yes, yeah. 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 So I've, I've, um, I went out there and documented the Kotuku before I, I start the projects. It's been an ongoing project since 2020. Um, but yeah, um, with the fellowship, it gave me more time and also opportunities to b- develop a relationship more in a more meaningful way. Um, mm. So since I've been here, I kind of, you know, been emailing um, uh, different runanga, not only um, the iwi, that's um, the kaitiaki of the West Coast, but also a few runanga here who have um, who have relationship to Central Otago mm. since I'll be out there filming rocks and 
you know, and being respectful. Places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you said to me that uh, the heron part of your exhibition will also be accompanied by some music played on traditional Thai instruments. Yeah, and you're going back to Thailand to record that. Oh no, I'm not. You're not. <laughs> I'm not going back. I'm actually got. Um, one of my parents' friends who sent me files um, of this particularly oh, fantastic. this particularly Thai instruments. So um, yeah, the Kotoku video will have this, um, I guess, audio component with traditional Thai instrument, and the other video, um, which is the sh- um, f- focusing on the outcrops in central Otago, I'm making digital um, electronic sound on my phone to go with that. Yep. Fantastic. And I think you said to me that you, you've you made that music really as a different language for a different world. Mm. Tell me a wee bit about that. I think when I went out there um, and I, I was doing a little bit of location scouting around Central Otago a few months ago just to see where I would film um, when I come back. And when you're out there... Some people, I guess some people are quite sensitive, you know, to place. Like you you can certainly feel um, ambience or whatever you call it. Um, And I guess commonly people would say, you know, rocks and stones and all these inert um, objects and materials, they don't, just because they're motionless, they they are lifeless. But I, I think I've, you know, I definitely felt some some sort some sort of energy. So I think um, sound and sonic feature came into not to replace language, but I guess approach it um, as a as a form of language to you know to try to communicate or to try to listen without using words, human ver- mm. human with, yeah without without using words. It's an extraordinary landscape. And yeah, yeah. It's resonated powerful. with you quite powerfully, hasn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. When I was at your studio, I was lucky enough to see you working on the limestone columns and other limestone objects that you are having in your Hocken exhibition. Can you tell us a little bit about what the columns represent and why they are significant to you? Mm-hmm. Um, so at the moment, I'm producing a series of uh, machine routed um, limestone objects. Um, so I I did some hand carving before, um, and now I'm exploring yeah um, 3D routing um, at the quarry, and the shapes and forms are based on um, some of the architectural elements of stone temples in in Thailand and um, some parts of Cambodia. Um, mm. So yeah. Um, I spent a bit of time look researching different kinds of uh, construction techniques um, using stone, um, particularly at Angkor Wat, um, and a little bit of um, Sukhothai, Thai, which is the first um, capital city of Thailand. So we've got this lovely synthesis going on between your the architecture uh, that we see in Thailand mm-hmm. and using the stone uh, from our land. You also said to me, I think, that there's a certain connection with the stilt houses that are common in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, some of the forms that I'm, 
I'm currently working on for the sculptures are based on these kind of cylindrical um, shapes of wooden stilts, um, which are, I guess, the foundations of most of the traditional, like old traditional Thai house that um, were built along riverbanks. So they were, most of the houses, wooden houses are built on stilts just to, um, you know, because the river floods seasonally and I guess it's a method to prevent um, pests and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> Snakes. <laughs> and other dastardly things that we fortunately don't have in New Zealand. So you've got that sort of double thing. You've got the columns in heritage parts of Thailand and then you've mm-hmm. got the stilt houses. So we've sort of layer upon layer mm-hmm. of reference point there for you. But then you've taken these limestone columns that have been 3D routed and you are refining them and then you're adding to them organic and inorganic mm-hmm. materials and I'm going into some detail about this because of course being radio we can't show our listeners so I'm trying to describe instead can you talk to us about the things, the materials and the wax that you're placing on top and what is the what is the purpose and the meaning of that? Mm. Um, so the limestone sculptures I combine them with um, with beeswax and some organic soap that kind of cast onto the stone surfaces. And I'm interested in this meeting point between um, fluid material, which is, you know, soap and wax, uh, when they are heated, they, you know, liquid and melt. And, and, and when they meet with this rigidity of stones, I guess I'm interested in uh, different scales of t- uh, transformative time. Um, how material transform and I guess with wax and soap you see the transformation happen quickly but with stone you know it takes millions of years who you know, for for like a continent to move but there's still movement in there at just different scale and, and yeah mm, I guess that's mm. some of the ideas that the sculpture is kind of teasing out Sorry, but that's a tantalising insight into what we can expect to see at your show next year. But currently you also have work displayed at DPAG in the group show Nature, Danger, Revenge, which many of our listeners will have seen. And again, there's a strong environmental theme there. Can you tell us just briefly in the time that we've got left about your work there and how you created that, starting with I think the fact that it was commissioned specifically Mm -hmm. by DPAG for the show? Yeah, so Nature Danger Revenge is actually uh, a, an exhibition that looks at Alexis Hunter's um, paintings, um, collections of paintings, and um, the curator Sophie Davis invited three contemporary artists to kind of come in and respond to Alexis' work. Um, and I think I was drawn to her engagement with, you know, subjects that are at times a hybrid between human and nature. Um, and so I looked... The, the work that I made f- for that commission is called Crown Chinese and it's a, a, a 3D scan of the trunk of the tallest tree or what thought to be the tallest tree in New Zealand um, which is out at um, Orokunui Eco Sanctuary and it's a eucalyptus, Australian species <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did a 3D scan around the trunk and then converted to um, these kind of animation um, and assigning 3D polygons into it and make it, it it becomes these kind of abstract pattern and skin and 
yeah, it's a it's it's, it's a animated work. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. The colours are amazing, and when you have an understanding uh, of how it's been made using, I think, photogametry, is that how you pronounce yes, it? Yep, yes. And when you understand a little bit about that process and then you go back and have a look at it, uh, it becomes all the more extraordinary. It's It really is. It's great. Sorowit, thanks for coming to the studio today to talk to us about your art and what you have for us all to look forward to over the next year. And thanks to you, our listeners. Join us again next month when we'll be talking to some outstanding postgraduate students from the Dunedin School of Art ahead of the annual site exhibition. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAC Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.